Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Basord and I'm a consultant psychiatrist at the Bethlehem Royal and Maudsley uh, Hospitals. I'm joined today at the Institute of Psychiatry by Professor Graham Thornicroft, who's based here at the Institute of Psychiatry from which we're, from where we're broadcasting. Now, he's published a, an intriguing paper with some co-authors in the April edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry, April 2007. And the title of this paper is Fear Assessment of the Merits of Psychiatric Research. But first of all, Graham, let's just talk a bit about the idea that psychiatric research as published in acad- academic journals can vary in quality. Many people are just pleased to get a paper published, aren't they? <laughs> Well, Raj, um, I think it's pretty true that if you want to get any paper, you will get it published somewhere eventually. So the question then is, how can you fairly compare different papers in different journals? What are the metrics or the measures that you can use to sift out the wheat from the chaff, if you like? So it sounds like one of the things you're saying is that the easier it gets to publish papers, and there are many more journals around, and there are ever ever more journals uh, arriving, the issue actually isn't whether something's published anymore, it's the kind of quality of the research that begins to matter more and more. Well, it matters for individual researchers because, you know, people's careers can depend upon it. It also matters for institutions. So let's take what's happening right now in Britain, a thing called the Research Assessment Exercise. All the staff in universities being assessed to see if they're up to scratch or not. And the way that happens is by looking at the papers they publish. In some specialties, like law, for example, it's not even papers, it's books. But for health research, it's papers. And then these panels within um, what's called HEFSI, Health Education Fund Council for England, make an assessment about the quality of people's work. And so they have to look at individual papers. And one of the questions is, is this a paper of national impact or international impact? So we've been scrutinised all the time. And the idea is to drive up the quality of British academic work and to make it uh, even stronger in relation to our competitors elsewhere in the world. So often when funding bodies are thinking about giving a big grant uh, to someone, they actually pay quite close attention to the track record of the group yep, or the person. Absolutely. So there's a lot at stake here. So sometimes, for example, if a scientific panel, maybe at the MRC, for example, is looking at a particular application, they'll say, well, let's look at the strengths of this application, but also let's look at the track record of this team. And the two key things they look at are publications they've got uh, out and grants they've got in. So the question of how we assess the strength of publications is more and more important these days. And also for things I imagine like major scientific prizes, the Nobel Prize, I imagine that the committee in Oslo are also thinking (laughs) about the track record of of the individuals. They're actually assessing quality, aren't they, in a competitive scientific environment? Well, let's look at how you really sift out the very best scientists from the rest. At the moment, there there are two ways to do that. One is to look at the journals in which people publish their scientific work and the single uh, index most often used is called the impact factor pretty much on a scale of 0 to about 20 so very good journals be 10, 15 or 20. Rather modest journals would have a score of 1 or 2. The other thing is to look at how often individual papers are actually used by other scientists. That The technical term is citing and the way to measure that is called the citation index. So you can actually look at the quality of the journal and if that particular paper is being referred to by other people. So those two things, impact factor and citation index, are the most often used ways of measuring what is really outstanding scientific work from what's pretty good work. Could you clarify what you mean by impact factor? Well... I mean, of course, we could think about impact in lots of ways. For example, is it having an impact on a minister's thinking and a new policy? Is it having an impact on the profession and change the clinical practice? But what I mean now by impact factor is a much narrower meaning, which is the, uh, how often papers in that journal are referred to within that particular scientific field. 
Now, to some extent, that's an artifact, because let's say there are a thousand scientists in one area, maybe immunology, and they're all referring to each other's work, then they'll have many references to each other, and that will have a relatively high impact factor. So let's take another field, which may be relatively uh, smaller, let's say, for example, learning disability research. So there'll be fewer people active in the field, referring to each other's papers less often, so the impact factor will be lower, which will be an artifact, because it's just a small field of research. You've got to be careful, you've got to allow for that to have a, a meaningful interpretation about these numbers. So the, one of the things that we keep coming back to is how often scientists refer to each other, how often yep. they cite other people in their papers. Yep. Now you've mentioned an issue about the, the size of the field uh, and the size of the number of publications could be an artifact, but aren't there other issues like, for example, language? What language you publish in, for example, what country you come from? Well, there are many biases that come into play here. For example, to get a paper into a very good journal, it's got to be extremely well written as well as being of scientific interest. So if, for example, you're working in Hungary and English is not your first or even your second language, then you're already at an automatic disadvantage. Now, then maybe you've got to get a sort of local proofreader who's good at English speaking, or you have collaborators on your project who are you know, primary English speakers. You've got to make allowance for that. To some extent, journals do that, so they may say this is outstanding scientifically, but it's actually quite poorly expressed from a non-English speaking group. So we will accept the paper and then have it, if you like, edited into good English. But that's relatively rare. So there is another bias in virtu you know, by virtue of just where you happen to, to be working. But it strikes me, talking to you, that we seem stuck here with the notion that we need a measure, we need a number. Now, you and I will know that many of the researchers in the canteen, just the floor above us, will chat away with each other over a cup of coffee and often say, you know, I think that was a brilliant paper, or I think that wasn't a very good paper. And yet that kind of qualitative judgment won't really feature in some of these numerical measures you seem very concerned about in your paper. Well, let's, let's think about this particular paper we've published in April's British Journal of Psychiatry this year. So one of the figures shows the difference between the impact factor, this is a standard measure produced by an international publishing house on one hand, and on the other hand, a measure which is called esteem scale. Now esteem means within the profession, what do in our case psychiatrists actually read, which journals matter to them. And we'll see, for example, that British Journal of Psychiatry is pretty high for an impact factor, but it's even higher on professional esteem. So if you're looking or I'm looking about the latest evidence about which antipsychotics or which form of behavioural treatment, we'd probably go to the British Journal, have a good look, see what's current in the field, what's the latest evidence, and we pay attention to that. On the other hand, I'd probably not better name the journals. <laughs> Some journals have you know, a pretty good impact factor, but in fact nobody reads it. And in fact, there are ways of gaming or playing with the rules for impact factors. For example, it's a fraction. So if you have a few papers in your journal, let's say you only publish it you know, twice a year, then because there are relatively small numbers in the denominator, then your impact factor has an advantage from that. Another example is if you produce lots of new scales, and a new scale, let's say measurement of something, is often relatively highly cited because if people use it, then every time they use the scale, they cite the paper. So scales tend to be good at having citations. Therefore, journals quite often will want to take new scales to increase their overall impact factor. So there are ways for editors to sort of um, you know, make the best advantage of the rules. Let's put it like that. So we've, t we've talked about the importance of assessing um, the quality of, of research in, in medicine in general, in psychiatry in particular. And we've talked about some of the deficiencies in the various measures that are commonly used. 
Now, what's fascinating about your paper is you're, you're pioneering or suggesting some new ways of measuring quality. Now, one of the things you talk about is a world scale for assessing research. Can you tell me a bit about that? Sure. Well, let's look at, first of all, one of the weaknesses, the impact factor, which is that if there's a field is relatively small in terms of the number of scientists working in it, then automatically it's going to have a relatively small impact factor because there aren't many people referring to those papers. Now let's take another example, which is looking at um, my own area, health services research. Now if we look across all of health services research in mental health in the world, then the number of uh, people involved is about 10% of all of those people in the world are working in Britain. So we've got about 10% of the contribution in terms of staffing numbers. We, we might then expect that about 10% of the good papers in that field would be published by British authors. In fact, 17% of all the papers in good journals in that field are from British authors. So one way of accounting for this is to make a ratio. We can say 17 over 10. So we can create something called a world scale score, which has a value then of 1.7, suggesting that we are overperforming, if you like. We're doing relatively well compared with all our competitors within our own field, whatever the scale of that field. So it takes account of big areas where there are thousands of researchers versus smaller areas where there may be hundreds of researchers. So that's actually quite a good measure. Another one would be to look in terms of impact upon practice. So let's take, for example, NICE guidelines. NICE guidelines are deliberately evidence-based, so all of the statements need to be supported by reference to a scientific a journal or a paper. And when so, you say NICE, you mean the National Institute of Clinical Excellence? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So, Which is a body that often makes judgments about what treatment should be prescribed in the British NHS. Yes. Uh, using what it says as the assessment of the best available evidence. Exactly. So it will then give, for each of the recommendations, exact statement of the evidence base. Which papers, how strong is the evidence, what does the evidence show? So another way of measuring the impact of research is, does it qualify, does it get into, is it mentioned in these NICE guidelines? Because then it is directly contributing towards national policy and it is designed to change clinical practice. So we might say that impact shouldn't just be if other scientists read it, but does it actually contribute towards the change of clinical practice for the better as well? So those are some of the measures you talked about pioneering in, in your paper. What else is on the, on the horizon, as it were, in terms of other ways of thinking about and assessing um, quality of research? Well, if we want to take a broader view still of what science is all about, then we might say how far does it have an impact in the public domain. So, for example... Um, we might look on websites of news, we might look at newspapers, we might look at other ways in which do we get information out to be more widely disseminated to the general public and say which scientific projects are having that type of reach or that type of connection with popular imagination with the wider understanding of science. And so we could, we could also develop a score. And these things are entirely technically possible because there are press cuttings organisations all the time analysing exactly what's in the media. And that would be a way to establish not just which science reaches scientists, but what science actually reaches the general public as well. And towards the end of your paper, you talk about a multidimensional assessment of scientific merit. Does that mean you're thinking of combining many different measures? Excuse me, of course it was the presenter whose page went off. <laughs> One second, I thought I'd switch that off. Um, sorry, let me ask the question again. So towards the end of your fascinating paper, you talk about a multidimensional assessment of scientific merit. Does that mean you're thinking of combining different measures? The way it works at the moment, pretty much, is that, for example, in assessing British universities, 
panels of experts will look at all the papers but pay a lot of attention to one particular factor, namely the impact factor, which is the overall strength of that journal. Now, of course, you can have good papers and bad journals and you know, bad papers and good journals, but simply they often judge a paper on its location. So it's a bit like housing, if you like. That means which journal is it in. Now, that tends to be an advantage for more basic scientific papers because if there's anything local, let's say the uh, introducing new community mental health teams in Wales or something, then an international scientific journal will not take something connected to one particular country. So that means applied work, work more, uh, uh, more closely located in clinical practice, tends to be at something of disadvantage in getting to the very best scientific journals. Now, a way to reverse that is actually to take a broader spread, is to say, does this work have importance for reaching other scientists, for reaching politicians and policymakers, for reaching other um, clinicians, and to take a, a, a rounded view about the overall impact of a piece of work, and to judge each one on its merits in terms of what it's intended to change, not to compare everything with an impact factor which would most fairly reflect, for example, scanning or imaging work or genetic work. Now, I suspect there's a bit of a backstory to the publication of this paper in the sense that I get a sense that maybe there's some discontent within the field about the way scientific research or the merit of it is being assessed at the moment, and this is having quite important and profound implications. Well, you're almost right, but not quite. <laughs> in fact, the discontent is a potential discontent, not about how science is judged at the moment, because this is done by peer review, people sitting around tables like we're sitting here, and then judging each paper on its merits, taking into account some of the background measures, but also looking at the actual paper itself, reading the whole paper. Now this, in Britain, this research assessment exercise and national scrutiny of all academics and all universities is going to take place this year, but will be the last of its kind. It's both a very thorough and a very expensive process. So the government has said, this will be the last one. In future, we're going to have just bibliometric analyses. That means just look at the numbers, look at the values in these scales. Now, in future, it's going to be especially important to know whether the scales are right for that type of science and actually constitute a fair assessment or not, because the money will be allocated this time round by peer review, people looking at each of the papers specifically in a, in, a, in a pretty much fair way and thorough. But in future, it won't be. It'll be almost automated. So we have to be sure that the measures are right for each type of science. And are you hopeful that some of the critiques you made in your paper and also some of the new measures you're pioneering will get taken up in, in the new well, exercise? Well, it's early days. Um, at this stage, we're proposing uh, a new series of dimensions. We're suggesting that there should be a multidimensional assessment, not a single metric which may be biased, and we're offering these for discussion for future years. I'm interested that this debate seems to be occurring in terms of your paper within a psychiatric journal, because some of the issues you are mentioning would seem to be prevalent throughout science. Is there a particular reason why psychiatrists are being perhaps discriminated against by, no, no, by these measures? No, I don't accept that for a minute. I think these are generic issues. If we look at the field of rheumatology or diabetology, the same issues as arise in exactly the same way. So um, what about... Is it possible, I know this is a difficult question, to think of a particular paper, you would say, or, or a particular area, which seems to be uh, not, not well served by these bibliometric-type approaches or the, or the conventional ways of assessing merit in psychiatric research? Well, let's take, um, let's take primary care research as an example. It's, it's quite often more difficult to get randomised trials organised in primary care, partly because the consent rates of primary care practitioners are pretty low, 
partly because primary care staff work as a team, so you more often think about cluster rather than individualised randomised trials, but also because there isn't a strongly embedded research culture in many parts of primary care. So the primary care research field is relatively weak in terms of big intervention studies, and so there isn't a track record, you haven't got strong researchers in the field, so that wouldn't show up highly in these uh, metrics that we have at the moment. There was some research, um, I thought a few years ago, that found out that when papers were published or mentioned in newspaper articles or in the, uh, on the news, on television, if it made it into that kind of arena of getting out into popular culture, then citations of, the, of that stuff kind of went up dramatically. In other words, even researchers who you thought were buried away in libraries actually were influenced by, by what they read in newspapers and so on. Well, of course, you know, as researchers, we don't bury our heads in the sand and <laughs> go home and keep researching all night long. We have our ordinary lives, so we're both lay members of society as well as being researchers. And, of course, we might pick up something in the general news where we go out and look into the scientific journal as well. So there's a crossover in both directions there. But what I'm getting at is what's interesting about the notion of science, about the dispassionate assessment of, of um, quality and, and coming to judgments. When people think about um, uh, papers and, and so on, you would know, I suspect, that often people have a, a, what appears to be often be an unscientific bias against certain journals or certain papers. That's true. Were there particular journals you had in mind? <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but I'm just, uh, what I found fascinating again about your research is about the idea of putting it on a scientific basis, mm. the assessment of, of quality of research and, and coming up with a very precise number. Yeah. And, it, and it often seems a bit haphazard, the way yeah. people go about assessing other people's careers almost. I mean, one... I mean, one example of that is whether there'd be any form of stigma, for example, against psychiatric journals. So if we take a sort of a, a stereotype, you know, would a surgeon on an assessment panel assess something in the British Journal of Psychiatry on a par with how they might assess something in the British Medical Journal? And we may find that there'd be some degree of scepticism about the scientific quality of mental health-related journals. So you may be right in that respect. And do you think your measures will do something uh, to try and combat that? Well, they would because they take into account the size of the field and they just look at the best quality work worldwide in that particular field. So they take all the other biases away, yes. Professor Graham Thornicroft, thank you very much and congratulations on your paper. Thanks, Roger.